I just want to honour a man that's going to preach now because, as many of you know, I won't tell you his name. He's already been doing a number of things this morning, and I think it's really important that we recognise it because, apart from a full-time job, um, so can we just give the man that I'm about to say his name a big clap when he stands up um, because it is costly. And he loves it, I know, so he's not sitting there sort of in tears, but it is costly. Um, Mr. Loveland. I'm going to pray for you if that's okay. Father, I thank you for this man. I thank you for who he is. I thank you for the, uh, the wonderful man he is to us as a church, the friend, father. And Lord, I just know that what he's going to share this morning is going to set each one of us alight. And he's going to impart your wisdom, Father. And I just pray that there just be a real sense of continuation this morning, just where the worship has led us so beautifully into the place of heaven. Amen. Thank you very much. Wow. I feel very honoured. Um, but it is a pleasure. I do enjoy this sort of thing. Um, this is when I get to preach. It feels like one of those. This is what I was made for. Moments. I don't know if you have those sometimes in your life. So, um, although it's a cost, it's probably more of a cost to my family than it is to me. And they're lovely, so they get they they release me um, in um, true style. You see, the groans have started already. I like that. You know what's coming. Um, thanks. Basically, go to um, either Mark Gollidge or um, some of George's friends. So a lot of you who are on Facebook may have seen some of these, but I thought they were so good they're worth repeating. Jesus drove a Honda, but didn't talk about it. For I do not speak of my own accord. (laughs) (sighs) I just love that. I usually meet my girlfriend, or wife, that is, um, at (laughs) twelve. At Revelation, um, at 12.59, because I like that one-to-one time. <laughs> These are great. I'm Canadian, but if you think I'm Russian, Soviet. <laughs> Two antennae I got married on a roof. The c- ceremony was okay, but the reception was amazing. <laughs> I'll stop there. There's so much glory on good jokes. Good jokes. Come on, now we're really done. That's, that's my lot. And, that, and none of them are mine. Right, Joe, can I have that um, slide, please? Right, there's a lot of um, verses up here. Um, I'm going to spend my intro taking you through some of these verses um, and some main points I'm going to pick out from them. Um, and then I'm going to spend a bit of my talk pulling out some key points that I really felt Holy Spirit put on my heart for us this morning. Um, and then hopefully there'll be time at the end for some ministry. Although I am going to do some ministry kind of as we go. So let's just run through some of these things. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but desire fulfilled is a tree of life. You get the things that you ask for, it brings you life. The the word life there, um, whenever it's used in the Old Testament, refers to things like life, as we would expect it. It also refers to running water as opposed to a stagnant pool. So it is life-giving. Ask and you'll receive that your joy may be full. This means that your joy is directly related to receiving the things that you ask for. If you pray and you get the things that you've prayed for, God expects that to make you happy. 
God even tells you a source of your happiness can be asking and therefore receiving. Therefore, I challenge you that if you're not as happy as you might want to be, a biblical solution might be to ask for more. Because a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. The glory that you've given me, I've given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one, so the world may know that you sent me. So as you get the things that you ask for, the things that you want, I would argue that you start to shine more with God's glory. The more you are your true self, the more you shine, that they may be one. The more you ask for the things that are on your heart, the more God gives them to you, the more joy-filled you become, the more glorious you shine, the more unified we become. Your glory is directly linked to our unity. So if you want us to be unified, and unity, I believe, is really what the Holy Spirit is pushing us on right now, as well as some of the choices that we make, and, and I, I think this preach links the two, then you need to be the truest you. Because as each of you are more you, we become more us. The way for unity is not to become more like each other, it's to become more distinct from each other. You getting this? Okay. I just love the fact that the more you you are, the more unified we become. It's kind of slightly counterintuitive. And then this has a, an outreaching effect. Those of you that are feeling a sense of frustration, perhaps, burden for when are we going to do this stuff? When are we going to get out there? When are we going to reach the world? I think we need to do this and this before we do this. So the world may know that you sent me. The more we make choices, good choices, that allow us to be our glorious selves, the more we'll be unified, and then that will have a positive outworking effect. Then others will see that we are disciples. Arise, shine, for your light has come. The glory of the Lord rises upon you. His glory will be seen upon you. Nations will come to your light. The more you shine, the more other people see you. So I know we're aching for the stuff. I know we are. But right now, I don't think it's about the stuff. Right now it's about the culture. Right now it's about embedding something that allows you to be the most you you can be. And then out of that, people will start coming to us because we will be shining. We will have something appealing. They will naturally come to us. Just to bring a New Testament confirmation, as you love one another, people will know that you are my disciples. And we were told to go make disciples, weren't we? So if you want to go make disciples, start loving each other. If you want to start loving each other, you want to have unity, start being the truest you. And the way to be the truest you is part of what we're going to talk about today. Let's start with the, the first thing I mentioned. I'm just going to leave this slide up here the whole time. I've, I've got no other slides. The first thing. If you're... You asking is a source of life. 
If you're asking for prayers and those prayers being answered is a source of life to you and a source of joy, I'm going to throw a challenge out there right now. Is there stuff that you've stopped asking for? Are there things that, for whatever reason, you have forgotten or chosen, for whatever reason, to not ask for? Because God wants you to ask. I'm convinced because it sits easily in my spirit and Jules is convinced that prayer is a key part of what, of what we as a church need to be doing right now. I think prayer is a key answer to us moving on. But it's, prayer is not so that we can get the stuff. Prayer is about relationship with him. So first off, are you, are you asking? I'm just going to give you one minute. And I'm not going to talk. If there's stuff that you've stopped asking for, just ask again. Allow God to answer it. Now, for some of you, that might have been easy. For some of you, that might have pulled up emotions and hurts and pains and disappointments. For some of you, that might have connected with something that was possibly painful. Um, now, I, I deliberately put the put it out there in this order because... Either you're now with me and you've reconnected with God and you've asked him for something or you're now aware that there is something in your life where you're finding it difficult to connect. Either way, you're where I need you to be right now. Um, a practical thing when you're asking, if your requests are directly linked to your joy or, or rather God answering your requests are directly linked to your joy, Practical point number one, don't ask for things you already have because you rob yourself of the joy of seeing the answer. Don't ask for God's favour. He's already given you his favour. You rob yourself of the chance to feel favour coming on you and, and then see the answer to prayer. Ask for things you don't have because that way you can see the answer. Does that make sense? Yeah. Sometimes we ask for stuff that actually biblically we've already got. So just be, be aware that you, in doing that you rob yourself of a chance to receive joy as you see God answer your prayers. And two, a simple thing, be thankful for the things you've already had answered. Gratitude, um, research, I'm reading a book recently about a, um, a very genuine doctoral research um, work carried out by a, a doctor of research. Um, and she has found through thousands of studies of, of counselling and people that gratitude and joy are intrinsically linked. The, the, the people in her studies who are most joyful were the people who had cultivated an attitude of gratitude. And I don't say that as a kind of pithy phrase, but genuinely they practice gratitude. It doesn't come naturally. You have to make a choice. Today I am thankful for. Today I am um, grateful for. So think of the prayers God's already answered because in doing so, you release joy into your life because it's biblical. Your joy is filled when you've received things. Answered prayers are a tree of life. So allow yourself to, to be life-given, to have life given to you by the things you've already asked for. However, how about those of you like me who found it difficult to ask because um, 
when it comes to asking, we're kind of connecting to our dreams. And Joy was meant to be talking to us a bit about dreams this week. And sometimes our dreams can be so deep in our hearts and sometimes so intrinsically linked to our identity, our character, um, that if you haven't seen them fulfilled yet, you, you can lose heart. And to ask, for me to ask you to go on and ask for the thing that you have maybe for decades asked for and not seen fulfilled yet um, is potentially a painful thing. And I, I know that because I've experienced this. I, I, I know what it's like to carry things for, for decades that you haven't seen answered. And then to have to find, to have to work out how do I maintain connection with God and with those around me whilst carrying this very deep-seated, very almost identity-linking pain. Um, and that's what I want to talk into for a few minutes. Point one, let your, let your sick heart, hope deferred makes the heart sick, let your sick heart drive you into God rather than away from. Let it drive you back into connection. And I know it's not easy to to do that sometimes I know but this says that your joy your life is linked to your requests your your requests so just practically practice asking again I know it's the thousandth and fifteenth time and a thousand and sixteen feels like you're setting yourself up for disappointment again but practically try again keep going If that's still not possible, then it's it's possible, and I'm not speaking this over you, I'm speaking from personal experience, it's possible that you've let disappointment get in. It's possible. And I can tell you that disappointment is not from God. Disappointment is from the enemy. And will rob you because it will prevent you from wanting to ask again. And disappointment may prevent you from the connection with your daddy God that he wants for your heart. Now these are, we're talking about desires here. Things that are deep to your, your core. Things that, the things that you dream about or think about when it's, three in the morning or when you're just about to go to sleep when when the business of life just switches off for a minute for you to reconnect with something that's what we're talking about right now they're very powerful and they're very personal sometimes um, fear of what might not be is presenting hope preventing hoping what could be let me say that again it's possible that fear of what might not be is preventing hope in what could be. Now the problem with this is that we were meant for desire. My challenge to you is not to say, switch desire off. That's not the answer. You can't say, and I've tried this, 
I just need to cut, I need to, I need to shut down that part of my heart because it's too painful to acknowledge it, too painful to interact with it. So I need to kill it. I need to bury it and push it down and live beyond it. Live live outside of it, not acknowledge it, because I can't live acknowledging that it's too painful. But two problems with that. One, I'm being controlled by fear. And that is utterly unbiblical. Utterly not what Jesus died for. You are no longer a slave to fear, to quote a song we're singing at the moment. The Holy Spirit has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity. We are not meant to be slaves to fear. And if fear is preventing you from either acting or connecting with your daddy God, then that's not okay for you, and I want that out of your life. The other problem with killing that part of your heart is that you were meant for desire. You were meant to be a passionate and deep-feeling individual. Let me explain it. Genesis, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let him have dominion. You were made like a divine being. And you were made to rule. Let's make man in our image and let him have dominion. If you're made after a divine being, I suggest to you there are no earthly experiences that will satisfy you. Let me say that again. If you're made like a, like a divine being, there will be no earthly experience that will truly satisfy you. Only heavenly ones. You're moulded like the perfect and the imperfect simply doesn't cut it. It will not satisfy. You were made to reign and have dominion. You were made in the garden in Adam to have dominion. That was God's first command over you. Go, have dominion, be fruitful, multiply, go forth, take control of the earth, make it yours. And then Adam and Eve gave that authority away. And so humanity has been thwarted ever since with this sense of I was made for dominion and I'm not experiencing it. The ground is not bringing forth the fruit in the way that I want it to. My relationships are difficult and hard and they hurt. However, when Jesus came and died and rose again, he got that authority back. All authority in heaven and earth has now been given to me. He went into the grave, grabbed, those, grabbed that authority off of Satan and said, I'll have that back, thank you. That was never meant for you. I want that back. And we are now in Christ. So in him, we have that biblical authority, that mandate back that in the garden was given to us. It's only through Jesus you'll experience the heavenly, God-like satisfaction your heart was made for. And only in Jesus will you ever be able to express your sovereignty and dominion. He is the fulfillment of all that you were created for. He is in intimate relationship with the Father. And he has all authority in heaven and on earth. In a, in a commentary on 1 John 4.20, it says, you don't need to know what the verse is, it's the commentary bit I'm, I'm interested in. The true ideal of man, lost in Adam, 
is realised in Christ, in whom God is revealed as he is, and man as he ought to be. Thus, by faith in Christ, we learn to love both the true God and the true man, and so to love the brethren as bearing his image. Let me read that again. The true ideal of man, lost in Adam, is realised in Christ, in whom God is revealed as he is, and man as he ought to be. Thus, by faith in Christ, we learn both to love the true God and the true man, and so to love the brethren as bearing his image. I would argue that the answer to both a disappointed or hopeless heart is connection with Jesus and God. We need to connect with him who has that access to intimacy that your heart craves. And we need to connect with him that has access to authority that you were made for. Because without those two things, you will remain unsatisfied. Basically because it's not, you were made for more than that. You were made for intimacy and dominion. And unless you are with Christ, in Christ, you will not have access to the authority and intimacy that you were made for. And out of that also comes authentic intimacy with other people, which is also what you were made for. Paul Manwaring makes a point um, that relationship is the greatest thing in the universe, which is why God paid the highest price in the universe to restore it. We're told about, we're told, I think Paul tells us that we now have the, the ministry of reconciliation. Our ministry is not just salvation, it is reconciliation. We are now reconciled to God. And we're reconciled to each other in, as one man in Christ. And I would argue that as you open yourself up to connection with Daddy God and connection with each other through intimacy, openness, that you can begin to experience hope in your heart again that transcends your desires being met or not. That allows you to open up your heart again because you're in connection with the person who made you and because you are getting that intimate part of your heart met in your union with Jesus and Daddy God that means that you're not crushed by the things that you're not feeling but you're alive in the truth of who you are and who Jesus is to you. So how do we go about doing this? How do we go about restoring or maintaining that connection? We pray. That's one way. There are many ways. But the way I want to focus on right now for this church in this season is we pray. What does that mean? It means many things. It basically means communicating, doesn't it? Connecting. But practically, a really useful way to view this is we start with repentance. What is repentance? Repentance is a, an agreeing with the truth. Which Paul tells us that it's God's kindness that brings us to repentance. Repentance is a beautiful, beautiful thing because repentance brings you back in line with the real you. Repentance brings you more closer, more closer, closer to this. 
Repentance says, I'm sorry, God, for agreeing with anything that is not your truth about me. And I'm going to choose to agree with your truth about me. Repentance is glorious. Repentance brings you freedom. Repentance is not a heavy condemning, oh, I must repent. If that's your view of repentance, then you've misunderstood the joy that comes from letting go of the rubbish and agreeing with the truth. Letting yourself be glorious as you acknowledge what God's done in you. Then you start to declare the goodness, the true things about you in your prayers. As you have reconnected with Daddy God, let the truth of who you are affect you. As you've let go of the rubbish, you then begin to look at him and just declare over yourself, receive, hear, listen. I don't mind if it's you declaring out or, or hearing first. But you start to speak out and stand in the good of the truth. I am a child of God. I have been chosen. I have a future and a destiny. He has plans to prosper me and give me hope. He chose me before the foundation of the world to be holy, regardless of my actions. He has good works. Works? Works set apart for you. Just made a word up there. He has good works set apart for you, just for you. Simon Petherick. Pat. Sarah, Patricia, before the foundation of the world, he had things for you to do that would make you shine with glory, his glory, as you are most fully you. The things that make your heart sing, he planned those before the foundation of the world for you to be involved in. As you begin to believe the truth, your heart begins to soar a little bit more. You feel your shoulders relax, you feel the weights fall off. And now you've got rid of the junk and you're starting to believe the truth. Now you've got faith to ask for more. Now you might believe it's possible that he will answer your prayers. Now you're ready to start asking for things for your desires, which then bring joy to you, which then make you more glorious, which then makes the world see that you are his disciples and brings him glory. Five more minutes and then I'm going to have some ministry. We've talked a bit about um, our union, our relationship, our intimacy with Jesus. I want to talk a little bit about our intimacy with other people, with each other. Um, now there are hundreds of thousands of books written by people far more intelligent than me on this kind of issue. So I, what I'm saying is by no means comprehensive or the be all or the end all. This is just one or two aspects that are highlighted to me that I feel inspired to bring to you today. Okay, so this is not an exhaustive list. In my experience, much conflict and breakdown in relationships stems from misunderstanding. We interpret others' actions through the lens of our own experiences rather than through theirs. Because these views can be radically different to our own, we can mis misinterpret or misunderstand others' intentions towards us. 
Now this is both the beauty and the challenge of intimate relationships, friendships, marriages. By intimate I mean you've got a heart connection. Whether it's your wife or your husband or your mum or your dad or your sister or your brother or your friend in the church. My heart is connected to all of you at various levels. We have to make a choice when we find conflict, when we misunderstand, when we potentially misinterpret. We have to choose at this point, how do I respond? Sometimes people do hurt us. If it's your loved ones and friends, it's usually not willingly, but sometimes unwittingly or by accident, they might hurt you. Or sometimes they may not actually intend to hurt you at all. They may not say anything offensive, but you may receive offence at what they say. I find in my own marriage with Jules that when I miss, one of the biggest breakdowns we have in relationship is when I misinterpret her heart towards me. She will say something to me and I will hear it through the filter of my experience and I might then respond negatively. And if I bite back, the offence that I cause her is not I've spoken unkindly. The offence I've caused her is I haven't trusted her heart towards me. I didn't make a choice. Stop, think. Is this true about what I know of Jules? Would she say something like this? I need to take a step back and I'm learning to. It's taken me 10 years to get better at this and I've still got improvements to make, but I am getting better at stopping, not reacting, not speaking out of my hurt or my emotion or my pain, not biting back and snapping, taking a breath and going, hang on, what do I know about Jules? What do I know to be true about her? Is it likely that she meant to hurt me? No, because I know her heart is for me. Okay, what's going on here? And when I reach that place, I then... Rather than biting back and breaking relationship, I ask her, Hun, I was hurt by what you said, can you help me understand? And then I build relationship. I, I, I maintain connection. I build connection. I felt the hurt. My emotions were, were genuine. I felt what I felt. But it was because I misunderstood and the more connection I have with Jules, the better I understand her, the better I understand me, the more connected I'll be to her, the more intimate my union is with her, the more I'm free to be me and she's free to be her. One more thing before we do some response. Another aspect of this that I find um, true to human nature and this I think is universal, and I think I can argue that biblically, is the issue of projection. In Matthew, I think it's Matthew, or probably most of the Gospels, Jesus says, you see a plank in someone else's eye because you have a speck in your own. That, for me, is the essence of projection. I have an issue. I have a whacking great two-by-four in my eye. And I put that onto you because I may, in you, see a splinter of the thing that I struggle with. And when I see it in you, 
I explode, I react. That's disgusting. So for me, personally, I find control is one of those things. I have a overly strong reaction to control. When I feel controlled by others or when I see control going on, my heart rate goes up, my blood boils, I get flushed. I react really strongly to control. Is that because I've got a, you know, a, some inbuilt mandate against control? It might be. But it's also because I struggle with control in my own life. I find myself to be quite controlling at times. Either I want people to do it my way. I personally, I find this works itself out with my kids. It's my way or not. I'm the dad, you obey. I'm, I'm not maintaining relationship there. I'm not seeking understanding, I'm seeking control. This is why I react to it badly. The flip side of that is that I ain't doing it your way. I am an island, I am a rock. I'll do it my way, thanks. And that manifests itself in my workplace sometimes. I don't see the point in that. That's a stupid rule. I'm not, I'm not going to bother doing that. It's still control. So my challenge to you, and as, kind of, as humanity, my challenge to you is specifically on this issue, be cautious of when you find you're reacting to somebody or something. Be aware of yourself. If you find yourself reacting overly strongly to something, can I encourage you, stop, take a step back, and just look in the mirror. Before you go and bark at the other person, look at yourself and just think, is this, is this a God-given reaction to injustice here, or am I projecting? Do I have the issue that I need to deal with? Because in which case, I am not in a place to go poking out someone else's speck. Because what I will do in, with my tweezers, trying to pull the speck out of their eye, what I in fact have in my hand is a baseball bat and I will club them with it. I will use my two by four rather than a pair of tweezers because I, I, I have this in my arsenal. You will not do well to respond to the thing in others that you have an issue with. So, three or four minutes left. My ministry is not going to be come to the front because it's you and God. My ministry is this. If you're struggling to make a connection with your daddy God because of past hurt, can I encourage you to be open with daddy God, open with Jesus, open with Holy Spirit, whoever you talk to, and admit that. Reopen that connection. Re-allow yourself to connect with daddy God. If you're believing lies about yourself, if there's stuff you need to repent of, that you've, if you've agreed with disappointment, repent of it and let Holy Spirit remind you of the truth. And if you find you have in the past or you are tending to, react in, into human relationships out of projection, just look at yourself in the mirror and repent of that. Okay, we've got three or four minutes. We're just going to do this in silence. Your own business with God. And then I'll wrap up in a couple of minutes, okay?
Jules has just reminded me, um, praise the Lord for wives, um, that, that I, may, I may not have mentioned the, the God bit in this connection. I don't want you to feel like your connection with God is something you need to achieve. I want you to take your part in it and take responsibility for it. But you need to know that your connection with God is something that he has achieved. And possibly I haven't majored on that enough in my desire to get some challenges across. At the cross, he opened the way for you to have connection with Jesus. He crossed the bridge. He did the moving. He did the changing of your heart. He brought you close. He made you new on the inside. He regenerated you. He's given you now a heart that instinctively cries, Abba, Father. Your heart naturally looks to Jesus, looks to God. He moved heaven and earth. He became like you so that you could become like him. He doesn't expect you to become like him. He made you like him. He expects you to behave like you are already like him. He doesn't expect you to change to become like him. He expects you to acknowledge that you are already like him and live in the good of that. Well, I don't normally leave my preachers with this kind of in the air, but I I hope I haven't bummed you out, but I, I do feel like right now is a time for embedding a culture that will sustain the move of God that is coming to us. Yeah, And that means we as a people need to take responsibility for our thought life, our relationships, our prayer life, our union, our intimacy, so that when, when this power that we are aching for comes when we see the fruit of all that God's been doing with us over the past 20 years, especially you would feel the last two or three where it's felt hard. We're going to be ready because we're strong, because we know who you are. We know who we are. We know who Jesus is. We know where we stand. We are knitted together. We're, we're, we're good. And then we can receive. Jules has a picture of a, um, a, a reed mat. And if there are gaps in the mat, if the reeds are separated, if there's a hole in our unity, then we can't sustain the power, is it? We can't sustain what God's got for us. So right now we're, we're making culture. Us to God and us to each other. Okay? God bless you. I love you. Um, please feel free to talk to me at the end. Um, if I've said anything that you want to talk to me about, go get your kids. Thank you very much. <laughs>